What is up, everybody? Welcome back to DTS, the Drunk Turkey Show. I'm Daniel. Uh, sitting here by myself. However, Big Blue is uh, on his way. He'll be here right now. Tuning in just in time. What's up, Big Blue? How you doing, my man? What's going on, man? What's going on? So I had to jump in from, from somewhere else today, so I'm mobile. Can you mobile? I can hear you. I can hear you. Test your mic one more time. Uh, let me adjust it because I'm having to use my headset mic. How about right there? Right. That's perfect, my man. Perfect. Yeah. All right. All right. <clears throat> so how you doing, man? How you doing? Yeah, man. You know, just I took my car to the mechanic shop today to get worked on it. It wasn't done, so I had to get a ride to work for my girlfriend today. I guess. Oh, I'll be no. That sucks, but I have, man. I have AC tomorrow. I have AC tomorrow, so. This 102 degree weather, 110 degree weather, I'd rather deal with one day without a car. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 100%, man. 100%. So, <clears throat> hopefully, everything works out for you and everything ends up getting fixed and, and you'll have your car returned to you in no time. Uh, yep. Let me see. So, the what's it? Uh, there it is. All right, so I got myself set up. I want to I wanna invite everybody, if you guys aren't aware, we do have our membership. Um, check it out. It's pinned in the uh, description. Hit the uh, link button if you're like on an iPhone or whatnot. Uh, we did a members-only live last weekend. We'll probably be doing another one this weekend. And uh, when we do, uh, this time we'll probably be giving away maybe some stickers, maybe a uh, beanie. I know it's pretty hot right now. We may not be able to use it yet, uh, but, you know, fall is just around the corner, y'all. So yeah, uh, I found my blue beanie yesterday too. Oh, did you, man? I, I got mine. Yeah. My black one's right here, collecting dust. I need to right here. We'll probably give one of these away uh, this weekend. So if you're interested in being a member, hit that link. It's in the um, description if you're watching this on the replay. Um, also, want to take this time to remind you guys of our partnership with Data Seal. If you have any questions or concerns about your privacy. Uh, being out there on the interweb, whether it's your your name, your phone number, your address, your uh, religious preference. I know that's important. Uh, voting preference, that's important as well, especially right now. You know, if you're concerned about those things getting out there on the interwebs, uh, check out Datasil. They got a team that will take care of those things. Get a 5% discount when you hit the link. It's in the description. It's um, It'll be in the comment section once the uh, live is over. Yep. And and y'all been have you been hearing those rumors about the 2024 election? Uh, well, what about it? That is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That uh, we're going to go to war and uh, uh, watch out. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! We want to stay monetized, my man. We want to stay monetized. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to use his um, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called, but. Wartime power, something where they can't do an election until after the wartime. Oh, well, uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it works. But yeah. Maybe we'll do a uh, a political thing on our Rumble page. YouTube's not very good for that type of stuff. You know what I'm saying, my man? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just seeing because Rosie O'Donnell came out the other day and so did this big old. Uh, they were saying uh, it? Politician, I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. I mean, you never know. You never know. Uh, this world is uh, 
and I keep telling people, you know, we, we do we do conspiracies as well. And one of the things that has, you know, been one of the biggest conspiracies is that whole Mandela effect. And one of the uh, reasons behind it that people suspect it happening is, you know, possible like, you know, CERN activity. Did they actually, you know, collide some particles together, maybe open up a parallel universe where things are backwards? I don't know, man. Who knows? Maybe there's some truth to that. But we're here for um, Koberger case. Today, what we're going to be talking about is, you know, a lot of folks have been saying that, you know, we're looking at things from one angle. Brian Koberger did it. Brian Koberger is guilty. And I, I've often said that, you know, there is a part of me right now at this point or venture of, of the case that uh, isn't sure. Right. You know, I might get 80 percent positive that, you know, you know, if we went to trial today, that Brian Koberger would be found guilty, but we don't have 100 um, percent of the evidence. You know what I mean, my man? And so we can't possibly know for sure one way or another. Right. Uh, but is there some stuff that's out there that could lead to some reasonable doubt? Are there things um, that are hurdles for the prosecution? And we're going to talk about those hurdles in the uh, prosecution's case, in the Brian Koberger case. Steeler fan says uh, she's here for the likes. Let's get those likes up, y'all. Let's get them up. Let's get them up. Uh, Big Blue, yeah. to start things off, to start things off, what do you think is the biggest hurdle uh, for the prosecution in the uh, Ryan Koberger case? Well, the biggest hurdle I think is there's no evidence other than the, you know, the the DNA under the sheath at the home. The timestamps on his phone don't place in there. That's true. Um, you know, that's the biggest hurdle is that without that. And, Eventually, he was invisible there. There's right, no 100%. fingerprints, no footsteps. So that, to me, is their biggest hurdle. That's proving that he was there. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a hurdle. You know, somebody going through something like this, you would expect that there would be, a, you know, what I mean by that is a crime scene as um, gorish as it's been, you know, described as far as the bedrooms were uh, that the crimes were committed in, uh, you know, yeah, you you would expect a little bit more, you know, that DNA that's, you know, under fingernails, things like that. Those things weren't there. Um, I think another big hurdle, in my opinion, um, is going to be the vehicle. You know, law enforcement had come out saying that suspect vehicle one was a 2013, 2011 White Hyundai Elantra. And they never changed that. Now, some say that that's because they were on to Koberger. They didn't want to tip him off. Things like that. And I don't think that is at all the case. You know, I don't think that they have any idea or I think they had an idea of who Koberger was. But I don't think that they had him as suspect one or even as a suspect at the point in which that genetic tree information came back. And so, you know, I think that's going to be huge. You know, it's like, when did you guys decide that it was a 2014 or 16 Elantra? And I think that happens to be, and we'll go through this and we'll go through some of the, uh, 
uh, the hurdles, you know, step by step. Right. So let's start off with the probable cause affidavit. Right. So the probable cause affidavit says a review of camera camera footage indicated of white sedan here after suspect vehicle one was observed traveling uh, westbound in the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive. Uh, first and foremost. The 700 block of Indian Hills Drive is in the opposite neighborhood of which he would have been coming from had he been coming from Pullman, Washington. You know, now I suspect why, and we're actually going to do a video that will premiere on Friday, uh, our theory on, on everything in this case. So if you're not liked or subscribed or, you know, have that notification wrong, make sure you do so. What do you think about that, Big Blue? The fact that suspect vehicle one, according to the probable cause affidavit, the first time that it's seen, it's traveling in the opposite direction of which you would expect Brian Koberger to be traveling from. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when we traced it, it's the one that goes by the uh, police station, right? So I think he would just ch check and see how many cars were on patrol. Right, but you don't think that it's that. But here's the thing, like the defense is going to. Well, I'm not sure if he's picking anybody else up, but if I was the defense, if I'm the defense, I'm going to say this car's coming from the opposite direction than what you would expect Brian Koberger to be coming from. So this is somebody else coming from another direction. Not necessarily that Koberger picked anybody else up or any of those things. Uh, we're talking about how would the defense, you know, present this. You know, if I was the defense, I would present this as it is not Brian Koberger because the vehicle's traveling east to west when Pullman is west, and you would have expected Koberger to be coming west to east had he be coming from Pullman, Washington. In fact, you know, based on this pattern, and it is the uh, white trail here, this is the uh, 700 block of Indian Hills Drive. It appears that he, uh, this vehicle, which also, we also have to remember, up here at this intersection is where the, and this is the gas station where the white car that got leaked out that there was a uh, picture of. That vehicle was traveling also uh, from east of town, coming into, into Moscow or towards the direction of the victim's residence. So I think that's one hurdle that the, uh, uh, the prosecution is going to have to account for. Uh, let's go back to the affidavit. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to do their their um, due diligence and get the evidence out there and see. Maybe they count on more cameras and see what he was actually doing. Right, one hundred percent. Well, it says they caught him on multiple, you know, videos, and there's a good possibility that um, what's the word I'm looking for? When it comes to the probable cause affidavit, they don't have to put every time or every scenario where Koberger's vehicle was seen, right? They only have to do it, you know, reference to what they're wanting to talk about towards his arrest, right? So uh, let's continue. So all of this area right here, this talks about the, uh, you know, as far as the affidavit goes, it talks about the movement of suspect vehicle one leading up to the time that is suspected of when this crime was committed and afterwards, 
Now, after um, the entire paragraph there of what is going on in Moscow, Idaho, is where the um, the affidavit states that a forensic examiner, approximately 35 years of experience, identified the vehicle as a 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra. Right. And then it says, then later, upon later review, he indicated it could also be a 2011 to 16 Elantra. Here's here's the thing. It now starts at this point talking about uh, suspect vehicle one in relation with um, being in Pullman. And it talks about being, you know, you know, there's a video of it moving at 244. At 243, it's seen also on Nevada Street. Uh, but after that review of information, they go in there to say that it was a 2014 to 2016 Hyundai Elantra. First question that I have for you, Big Blue, is when do you think that they got, the, they, they started to, or they found this footage of suspect vehicle one uh, in Pullman at 244? Do you think that was, uh, right away or after they got Brian Koberger's name? I think it was right away because they were already looking for footage for the white Elantra from the, from, you know, was it a couple of days after the, we got the release from the uh, gas station footage? Mm-hmm. So those are, they've already been scamming cameras for the a white Elantra around there. So here's my thing or my argument against that. If that was the case, if they figured this out right away, don't you think they would have looked at Brian Koberger harder versus, you know, they had his name November 25th or 29th, right? November 29th, they had his name from uh, the, what do you call it? Um, From WSE police. They did a canvas of the area looking for white Elantras in Pullman, Washington, they did a search and a query looking for white Elantras. They uh, went to go find Brian Koberger specifically. It had Washington tags on it at the time. And, you know, at the time of his registration with the uh, Washington State University and upon arrival to the officers, you know, surprise, so to speak, it already, I mean, I'm sorry, it had Pennsylvania plates at the time of registration with Washington State University. And at the time of when uh, by the time the officer gets there on November 29th to go look at, or the 25th to go look at the vehicle, it already had Washington uh, plates, right? If you were at that point knowing that you were looking for a possible 2014 to 16 Elantra, wouldn't you really look hard into Brian Koberger at that time? Sorry. Yeah. I think they would have started looking into him a little bit more at that time. But they didn't. And I'll tell you why they didn't. Watch this. So this is out of the New York Times article. It states here, um, this is the uh, New York Times inside hunt for the Idaho uh, killer. It says here, he was identified only after investigators turned to an advanced method of DNA analysis that had rarely been used in an active, you know, life-taking investigation. 
And if we scroll further down into uh, this said article, right here it states, by the morning of December 19th, records show investigators had a name, Brian Koberger. He had a white Elantra. He was a student at the university eight miles from the scene. If we go back to the Howard, Howard Bloom article here on the, um, I think it's the eyes of a, what is this? This one's the uh, eyes of a killer part one. Let's scroll down right here. It says here, Chief Fry for once upbeat met in late December or late morning of December 20th with Randy Walker, the department psychologist, and Rod Ops, one of the police chaplains, in the court courthouse law library. It was one of the few places they could huddle where the chief felt no one would be listening. I'm going to need you two to get ready, he said, with a deliberate coyness. I'm going to need you before long. The two men eagerly asked whether there had been a break in the case. Fry did his best to rein in a pregnant smile. All I'm saying, he, he reiterated, is I need you both to stand by. Might be calling you very soon. But by 4.30 that afternoon, Moscow Police Communication Team issued a flash update. Investigators are aware of a Hyundai Elantra located in Eugene, Oregon, and have spoken with the owner of the vehicle. It is not believed to have any relation to the property in Moscow, Idaho, or the ongoing murder investigation. And like that, the psychologists and chaplain knew that the chief, despite hopeful conversation earlier that day, would not be calling them anytime soon. So it appears here, based on this conversation that we have there, that December December 20th, this is the day after they got the name Brian Koberger for the first time as a suspect, you know, pointed by the genetic, gen, uh, genealogical tree from the FBI. They say they are saying that it is Brian Koberger for the first time. And they think Brian Koberger's white Elantra is the Eugene, Oregon white Elantra as of December 20th. Now, Big Blue, I ask you, where where was Brian Koberger December 20th? I think he was already driving back to the Coconos. He was already in the Poconos. He was in Pennsylvania. He'd been there since December 16th. So based on that right there, the fact that you have an article from New York Times saying that it was not until he was identified by gene genealogical, you know, um, testing, you know, we find out that they think that this white Elantra in Eugene, Oregon is his. And we know at this point he's not in the area. Now, what we do know about that white Elantra in Eugene, Oregon, is that the uh, front license plate was not visible because the front bumper was taken off and the uh, back license plate was removed. So it was, you know, hard to tell or you couldn't, there was no license plate to see. Uh, how did they clear this vehicle so quick? Well, they had a suspect at that time, Brian Koberger. Uh, what I assume is they called the uh, law enforcement agency in, in Eugene, Oregon, had an officer go out there, confirm that the VIN number was not a match to Brian Koberger's VIN, and moved on. Right. So does that, that make sense, Blue? So does this make sense that they didn't know who, who Brian Koberger was until December 20th, or 19th, I mean, as a suspect? Yeah. Uh, do you think somebody did that on purpose, though, because of this case, just to get a little bit of fame, that they stole one just to destroy it, just to throw the, the police off? For I wouldn't be surprised, dude. 
Right? That's what I was thinking. Like, because out of all the cars, why that one? Let me just go dump somewhere. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at if somebody went and you know, pulled up on the crashed Hyundai Elantra and in Eugene and they're like, I'm gonna take these license plates off and say it's this vehicle just for clout. That, that, that makes perfect sense, dude. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. So, <clears throat> so I think this is going to be an issue. You know, it, it doesn't. And, and what this also tells me is that their view of this vehicle, uh, that of this footage, that the footage in, in Pullman is clearer and or easier to see versus what they have out of Moscow is would that would you agree with that big blue yeah I would agree Sorry. so, so th like I said this says here and, and this also tells me that it was looked at two different times because it says it states this camera footage, and this is referencing uh, the WSU surveillance cameras. It says, uh, it says right here, this camera footage from Pullman, Washington was provided to the same FBI examiner. Doesn't say at the same time, it just says to the same examiner, and that examiner was able to determine it was a 2014 to 16. Now, the other big problem that I have with this is, is his historical cell phone pings. Now, I'm, I'm not concerned with the accuracy of cast. I'm concerned with how law enforcement got the warrant for Brian Koberger's cell phone pings or his locations. I shouldn't say pings. They're not pings, you know. The cast uses something different, uh, they test things out differently, and so uh, they aren't pings, they're more like locations. But I have a huge concern about that, and, and the reason being is this is the search warrant that was provided for Brian Koberger's historical ping or, or locations. And it goes, Brett, Brett Payne, haven't given me proof upon oath. But it doesn't specify what the proof is. On this day, showing probable cause to establishing grounds for issuing a search warrant and probable cause to believe property consists of certain evidence regarding the investigation into crimes of homicide at 1122 King Road, Moscow, Idaho. This is uh, on AT&T account associated with the phone number, uh, it's Koberger's that's being redacted, between November 12th and November 14th, uh, between uh, midnight and midnight of that day. For those days, information should include user account information and et cetera. And, and this is all the details that they're wanting out of that cell phone. And then it says, please provide this information to Brett Payne by a digital format on a compact disc in the Excel PDF or TXT format. You are therefore commanded to do this search the above described premises. Now, the problem with that is it, all it says is that, oh, boy, gave them proof. 
where's the damn proof we go to the uh search warrant and this is the uh ronald logan search warrant for his property you know it talks about on, on february 14th at 9 20 logan contacted his cousin to tell him that he came into logan's home between uh, 2 and 2 30 p.m to pick logan up now this is referencing the uh delphi case and in this case ronald logan contacted his cousin to go and um, give him be an alibi for him during the time of the commission of when the little girls are expected to have uh, passed, right? And in this search warrant, they indicate why they suspect Ron Logan of being the suspect. They're saying that he's creating an alibi for a time in which, yeah, in which they believe that the girls had passed before their bodies were discovered. Right. So creating an alibi before the crime is discovered is a huge red flag. Now, come to find out in the Ronald Logan case or in the Delphi case, um, Ronald Logan was lying because he was, I believe he was drinking or drinking and driving or something, violating his probation, which ended yeah. up resulting in him you know, going to jail for a while. So he did lie about his information, but for but a completely suspended license. Yeah, for a completely different reason. But what I'm trying to point out is, in the search warrant, they show why they believe it's Ronald Logan. It is not simply Brent having given me proof, Brett Payne. All right. Now, if we go to the affidavit, this tells us what they used as proof. It says, based on information provided on the WSU website, Koberger is currently a PhD student at in criminology at WSU, pursuant to records provided by the number of, of interview panel by a member of the interview panel for the Pullman Police Department, we learned that Koberger's past education included undergraduate degrees in psychology and cloud-based forensics. These records also showed Koberger wrote an essay when he applied for the internship at the Pullman Police Department in the fall of 2022. Wrote an essay where he had an interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. Koberger also posted a Reddit survey, which can be found in an open source search, uh, source internet search. The survey asked for participants to provide information to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. As part of this investigation, law enforcement officers obtained a search warrant to determine cellular devices uh, that utilize the cell towers in close proximity to the King Road residence. On November 13th, uh, between 3 and 5 a.m. After determining that Koberger was associated with both the White Elantra and the 8458 phone, investigators reviewed the search warrant returns and a query of the return showed that the phone uh, did not utilize the cellular tower, a tower in close proximity between 3 and 5. Based on my training and experience, they believe, and I'm going to paraphrase, that they believe that some people will either turn off their phone or put it in airplane mode to divert location during the commission of the crime. All right. And they ask, it says here on December 23rd, I applied and was granted for the search warrant. So all in all, just in general, they basically, what they used was the fact that they're saying that based on the fact that he was a criminology student, he had uh, an expertise in technological data and forensics. He had a Reddit in which he was um, had a survey trying to understand the emotional and physical traits that influence decision making when committing a crime and during the commission of the crime. 
which are a part of his, I believe, a thesis for his master's in DeSales and um, something that he had a psychological, I think it was a criminology you know, major and a psychological minor or something like that. And so, in my opinion, just because somebody goes to school for things or understands, you know, how law enforcement is going to uh, investigate you because um, you have education in criminology isn't enough, in my opinion, to violate this person's civil rights to find out where he was during this time. I mean, that's like, you know, if somebody passes away and they don't they don't know, you know how it happened and they go check the phones and because your phone's not connected uh, to a tower in the area and you have some sort of schooling that gives the police officers the right or law enforcement the right to violate your civil rights. I don't think that I don't think so. What are you, what are your thoughts? Will? I mean, that's a good point, man. But I think that there was more to it. I think um, once they got his name from from the genealogy, you know, like that, kind of gave him the the okay but to they, start going back and start finding through it. But you can't use the genealogy. They may have known it, but they can't use that for warrants. Because if they did, if they use the genealogy for the warrants at this point. Because they don't use the genealogy for anything else, right? The, the, the state is arguing right now the genealogy is not being used against them. Well, using it to obtain a search warrant and that information being used against them is using that information against them. Yeah, but maybe they, they, they got his you know, car on camera and just got his plate somewhere and then they were able to use that information. See, I don't think so, man. I think that if they did, they would have had that in here. And we we all saw how the Linda Lane footage had two vehicles right in front of that camera. And because of the reflective nature of a license plate at night, uh, it's very difficult to determine anything. And those vehicles were parked in close proximity, you know, to the uh, to the camera. I, I don't think they got a plate on this guy. You know, if they did, too, I mean, shoot, they, they put that in there. That's strong evidence against them. You know, when it comes to the arrest aspect, when somebody is getting arrested, the probable cause affidavit is going to be majority of the information that they have. Now, there's going to be some stuff we don't know. Like, for instance, I'm fairly positive they have Brian Coburg on camera prior to, you know, 326 when he's in front of or behind the police department on Indian Hills Drive, right? I'm fairly positive they have him coming into Pullman, I mean, into Moscow and driving that direction. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they don't have yeah. to put all that information. No, they don't have to give all the information. Um, so I think they have more information. I'm pretty sure they got his plate somewhere. It's a college town, man. There's cameras at every, like, it's like when you go down towards UTSA here, there's cameras at the lights and everything because people always drive erratically or drunk so they they can get them more with those cameras yeah you know i i I don't think they got a plate i think they would have used that i think that would have been huge against him and like i said when it comes to the probable cause affidavit you're trying to take somebody's freedom away from them you know you're going to put down as much information as you possibly have now the information we don't know is everything after the arrest right now what we do know after the arrest and we'll get into that is 
uh, police, based on the search warrants that were released, thought that that this crime was malicious, was was put together. Man, what's the word? You know the word I'm trying to say, right, Big Blue? Is intensely put together, right? Like uh, planned out in detail. Yes, meticulously. To, there you go. Meticulously. Yeah. That word. I just said it. Meticulously. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to speak out of my, out of my reading level. My bad. Anyways. <laughs> it is ridiculous. You know, they think that he planned this out there. They, they talk about planning of the events. There would be notebooks and possible searches in the house and things of that nature, right? But to our knowledge, and based on the wording from the defense and multiple, um, you know, search warrants and, and documents released, it appears that nothing of that nature has been found. There's been no connection between Brian Koberger and the uh, and the victims. I think that's another hurdle, you know. Yeah, that was a hard hurdle to go through. Uh, I mean, suppose you know, it, the twelve times he was there, he wasn't stalking them. Then why was he there? But that's the only connection that they have to them right now. Right. But here's the thing: if he was there, so let's just say he went twelve times between what July, that's July, August, September, October, and November. That's five months. Let's just put it August, man. That's the time he got pulled over. August, September, October, middle of November. So you're looking at about three and a half, four months going by 12 times. That's, that's three times a month in the area. Do you, does, does that really constitute as a stalking blue? No, not necessarily. No. Because it would be stalking obsessively and be like, daily or twice a day so it'd be a lot more yeah i would have anticipated 12 times maybe maybe three times maybe you know at minimum twice a week i would think maybe you know what not even that man once a week that would be four times you know i would have expected him to have been around there somewhere between 16 to 20 times in that area uh checking things out you know what i mean but yeah. also, like, we don't know. I haven't seen the maps of, like, was he going around the house or just going around the neighborhood? It doesn't necessarily say. It just says that he was in the area, that it puts him in the area. And thank you so much, uh, <laughs> Batsheet Crazy, for your 199 <laughs> super sticker. I love your name. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Now we have, we have, uh, Enid Harsh come out on uh, TNT not too long ago and basically say that on a couple occasions he saw a white Elantra because his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend drove a white Elantra and they were behind or when he saw it was behind the, uh, the, the apartment, you know, behind the residence there where his apartment was. It sounds like he was parked fairly close if that's the case. And so, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going to, in the meantime, in between time, what we're going to do is I'm going to remind you guys of a raffle that we have going on. Be right back. This is our little Frenchie Nelson. Nelson was the runt of his uh, litter. And unfortunately, he was diagnosed with IVDD, which resulted in him losing the ability to move his rear legs. 
Uh, we were left with a couple of options, one being put Nelson down or two, go through a costly uh, surgery, which wasn't guaranteed to work. We gave Nelson that chance and we went through the surgery. And fortunately today he can walk and, and he's not 100%, but he's getting there you know, through rehab and continual rehab. We think he may. Those bills are extensive and continuous. In efforts to lower that financial strain, we've decided to do a raffle. This raffle is going to be of a four by three handmade quilt. This quilt was actually made by my mother-in-law. And so high quality, I uh, think you'll love it. It's a rescue themed quilt. So how do you enter? There is a $5 entry to get into the raffle. All entries will be through Cash App, dollar sign, Drunk Turkey Show to enter. In the description, make sure you put your shipping address and your name. If you want to put in multiple, you can do so. You can send in, for instance, 25 and also put in the description five entries. The raffle will be on August 28th. The winner will be chosen at random by the uh, wheel selector. Don't need to be present on the live. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you guys for those that have entered. We've had multiple, multiple entries, especially in the last couple of days. I want to say thank you to Dago, True Crime Cafe with Dago. He uh, posted it up also on his live yesterday. Uh, oh, nice. truly, yeah, I truly appreciate that, my man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you to everybody you, with your positive comments. Uh, I, we, we thank you. Um, so one other thing that I had seen, you know, before we go back into what we were talking about, because there's, there's still quite a bit of it. There's a lot of hurdles there. And, and this one is November 13th, 2022, at approximately 2.42 a.m., uh, the phone for Brian Koberger was co um, they had coverage of his apartment complex, right? And then it says that 2.47 is when his phone, uh, it's consistent with him leaving his apartment complex, right? However, let me see if I can find it real quick. I know it's at the top. Let me see. I know where it's at. So remember that those times, 240, 244, and 247, right? Where, where was it? Here it is. I mean, 242 and 247. Here, he is seen at 244 a.m. Uh, on Nevada Street. Now, if we are to believe that these locations of Brian Koberger are accurate, right? And we're to believe that uh, they are within a couple of feet, right? That's what that's what CAST is putting out there. You know, that's what we are aware of, is that it is a couple of feet. Find it difficult for Brian Koberger to have been at his home at 2.42 a.m., and according to the cast, not leaving his home until 2.47, and also on camera two miles away two minutes later or during the time that he was still at his house. Because according to his phone pings, he was at his house until 2.47. At 2.47 is when he was starting to travel south through town consistent with heading towards this area. Now, maybe unless the camera times are off or something. How do you explain that, Big Blue? I didn't know that, man. Uh, 
I don't know. Maybe he left his phone at home. Well, no. Oh, he couldn't they, take it. He couldn't. He had to take it either way. Yeah. Now, now here's the other kicker. Because if that's the case, and they have vehicles, remember, what is the unique identifier for Brian Koberger's car? There's no license plate in the front. Exactly. So does that mean that this vehicle that is seen down here on Nevada Street while Koberger is supposedly at his apartment complex doesn't have a front license plate like Brian Koberger's car don't have a front license plate? Does that mean there were two cars out there without a front license plate? Yeah, it could be. I mean, but like there's cameras there, so maybe they got the back of the car got a picture of the plate, so I don't know. So the investigators are going to have to, because if he, if he had, like I said, if, if he went into the building or anything, most of those buildings are key access, you know. They... Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you're breaking up a little bit. Yeah, if you can hear me, Blue, um, you are paused and nobody can hear you. But you were right. You know, I know where you were going with that. You said there were key access. Uh, try coming out and coming back in. Uh, you know, we thought, what what is it possibly that if this was Brian Koberger out here on this side of town, what would he possibly be doing out here? And, and you know, one of my thoughts is he wouldn't utilize Mapuyabu. He wouldn't utilize the, uh, you know, his Wi-Fi if he did all this planning and prepared this perfectly the way, you know, we, uh, the prosecution wants, you know, everybody to believe, uh, then I, if I was him, I wouldn't be using my Wi-Fi. here at the office of academic engagement. We spoke about how this is an area for students and student employees. Uh, there's offices there. It's there to help students, you know, uh, basically assist with their academics and things of that nature. There's free Wi-Fi there, you know, for the students and the student employees. So I don't know if he had an office here because he was also a student employee or had access to it because he was a student employee, uh, as described by himself and his father on the stop in um, Indiana. You know, when he was pulled over, he stated that he was a WSU student employee. And so maybe perhaps he's aware that there are no cameras in this area. And that he would have Wi-Fi uh, access. No, I'm thinking maybe he was, if not there, somewhere else. And at, you know, between this time, maybe perhaps he's going in there and and stalking or something. I don't know. Maybe he's picking up some things. We don't know. We'll talk more about what he could have been doing on Friday night's show. It's not going to be a live show per se. We're going to be uh, recording it tomorrow. We're going to be doing some edits, put some video behind it so that way it's of higher quality. And then it'll be uh, aired out on Friday night. Now, Friday night, if you guys want to catch me, I'll be on my Steelers channel, State of the Steelers, as the Pittsburgh Steelers will be taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I'm their first preseason game, and I'll be doing a play-by-play uh, on my channel. So if you want to catch me on Friday night, that's where I'll be. But we'll be having a show recorded and coming out at that time. So just as a... Uh, FYI. I'm not sure where Big Blue is yet, but I'm pretty positive he'll be coming back. So the next big hurdle, and I kind of want to wait for Big Blue because I want to go through these with him. Uh, 
But the next one is going to be the no DNA in the car. Now, the prosecution is saying that there's a total lack of DNA, which kind of leads you to question whether or not. Um, oh, here comes Big Blue. I see him popping in. There you are. There you are. What's up, Big Blue? Yeah, man. Sorry, the internet kicked me out. I'm, oh, geez. I'm, I'm doing wireless here, man. I'm not direct wired, so. Oh, and we are aware of some new documents uh, that have come out. There's some new docs, Big Blue. It's talking in reference to gen- genealogical stuff. Yes, yeah, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I read them. I don't really understand what the the angle is yet. So that's why I don't want to go through them completely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I can try to read them today if I have a chance at work and see if I understand them more. Well, we'll, we'll probably look at them before we go off today. We'll, we'll take a gander at them. I have them right here. They're just 14 pages. And I was I read through them as fast as I possibly could. And then I read back through it as fast as I possibly could. And I was like, shit, I can't read this fast. I need to take my time to understand what the hell's going on in this. Because it's all about genetic stuff. <laughs> you know. And it really doesn't say anything in particular, in my opinion, other than... I don't, I don't know. I don't, I will look through it here at the end. So big blue, one of the biggest hurdles I think that is coming out is the fact that there was no DNA of the, or a lack thereof DNA uh, from the victim's residence on Brian Koberger's or in Brian Koberger's, you know, person possessions in his apartment complex at his parents' house in his vehicle, in his office. Do you think that's going to be how big of a hurdle do you think that the prosecution is going to have with that? I think that that that's not too big of a hurdle because I don't I wouldn't expect that at his office. I would say maybe at his home if he showered afterwards and had it on over him. But this guy was a uh, you know I uh, he had access to all the equipment to be able to disguise himself. You know he had. He had the booty access to booties. He had the access to to jumpsuits. He had access to gloves. He had access to masks. So if you mm-hmm. take all suited up, go in and do the crime, and even if you get anything on you, you take it out before you get in your car. Ninety nine percent, you're not going to get anything in your car. Right. If you take it on lock before you get in, no. So that's what my theory is. Like he went in fully suited. And like, like when uh, Dylan says she, he walked by, he was wearing a mask. He was wearing a mask for a reason uh, to disguise himself a little bit. But also, I mean, he don't have a lot of beard hair. But if he did, you know, that would help stop somebody from falling into onto the crime scene. If he was right. wearing a hooded, a hooded hat, a hooded sweater, so his hair wouldn't fall. And land in the crime scene. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that guy got a lot of hair, dude. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I like. Even if he tussled with somebody, maybe some strands might have came off, but they didn't find anything. So I think he was wearing like maybe a, like a wetsuit. No, not like a wetsuit, but like maybe like a, a sweater with like the, 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 the pool tie, you know, like and can yeah. cover his face with it. Got you, got you. So you think he just had it? Re- I mean, but that that obstructs your view pretty good, man. I mean, 
it's a that's a big risk, especially with a with a weapon as personal as a knife. Well, even like if you see the when they're when they're um, <laughs> somebody put a latex cat suit, he went in his Catwoman. Uh, <laughs> now um, you know the crime scene investigators that you see them walking in with those white suits. Mm-hmm. If he has something like that, but like in a black suit, he can like dispose of it easily. True. And as far as what Angel D was asking about, you know, Dickie Boots having the souls like Ellie have, I think some do. Um, there are there are some work boots that are are used, um, but I think that the Dickies tag receipt that's out there is referencing some coveralls. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the whole Van situation and what shoes he would be wearing. Vans could be a shoe he'd wear if he wanted to have easy and you know easily get out of them. Police law enforcement boots aren't that easy to get out of. You can't get out of them very quickly. You know, I was thinking about that after after the show the other day. And you know, Vans you can, and Vans are pretty common. So I think that if you use a common shoe, um, you might be able to, you know. It'd be difficult to pinpoint it back to him. See, to this question, I don't think there would be because if he took it out before he committed the crime and tossed it on the bed, and the you know probably at the end of the bed, and there was a little bit of struggle, you know maybe the girls kicked their legs around a little bit, they would have covered it with you know the the blankets or their legs. It's lost in the sheets, so it probably probably got covered over. Well, I think that the blood would soak through that, but you know, it, it was described as being under Maddie Mogan. So, you know, partially at least. I think that part of it would have had blood, but where the DNA was located, it was located inside of the button. And the way the defense describes the positioning of the sheath was that it was button or face down with the button down. So one, I think that you know, you know, unless I don't want to be graphic here, but unless the knife penetrated all the way through to the back, I don't think that blood would have gone, you know, in that area that as much as we think it was. But then again, I don't know, man, it's a mattress. It's not something like hard or sealed, you know, but that's a good question. Wouldn't it be, you know, be covered? I, I think it would, you know, based on its location and the description of how this crime was committed. I just think that it was face down and that may have been the only place where DNA could have been gathered was inside of that button of that sheath. And, and that's why they found it there. That's a good question. though. It's a very good question. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure once, I mean, I, I don't think I would even, they'd probably even release them because of privacy, but that they do in most, most cases. But when they show like the crime scene photos, they'll show where the sheath was. And what, if it was covered or not, they normally do. Especially if anybody if y'all watch the true crime shows, they'll they'll put on the pictures on there, and they'll just blur out the the body photos. Right, right. Older right. crimes that they did, like the whole. Uh, I can't remember the name of that show that I watched. It's on. It's on Crime Channel or something where it's like they do old stories, old cases, and they like reenact it, and then they show like actual crime scene photos of it. Got you. So uh, Stacy Gordon says, geology expert talks about the process of using it, the rules, laws around it, 
that they reviewed the case info. That's kind of what I got about it, to be honest with you. And that's referencing the new documents that are out. Uh, like it talks about, you know, this person being over the age of 18, being an expert, being entitled in, you know, how long they've been in the case, you know, what they're, you know, how long they've been in uh, genetic genealogy since 2014. You know, they talk about the differences in, and how profiles are obtained and used and um, the law behind gathering. I didn't see anything in, honestly, I didn't see anything in here that actually pertained to Brian Kilberger case. Like I didn't see anything in here that said, all right, with all this being said in the Brian Kilberger case, the DNA is good because of this or bad because of that or not usable because of this. None of that. It's just, everything that this person has seen or done. And then there's a complete a rundown of, you know, kind of like their uh, timeline of information, you know, their, their background, their studies, their certificates, you know, how many courses they've taken. And so I didn't see anything of importance to be honest with you. Not yet. I mean, we'll see how this plays out in court. It's just saying that this person's an expert. Yeah, now the other, on this question, I honestly don't know who the target was. I can't tell. I mean, from a little bit of Steve's, you know, saying one one uh, body probably had more than others, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I couldn't tell who the, the main target was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Um, it's hard to say that it's Kaylee because Kaylee got the new car the day before and she wasn't there for a while, even though yeah. she had the significantly more injuries. I think one can be explained that if Maddie was the target and Kaylee was in the bedroom with her, that it foiled whatever plans he may have had or fantasy that he was hoping to you know, play out or whatever. And, you know, it, it didn't involve, you know, Kaylee being there. I never, and I, and I never questioned or asked them. That wasn't Ethan's actual residence, right? He just was over. No, no, he was yeah, just right? visiting. He was just yeah. visiting, so he had his own residence. So he, then that wouldn't make him the target either. No, I don't think he was. Um, oh, and I forgot to add, add this. This is from the states, and this is referencing the IgG that we were just talking about. It says, moreover, the DOJ, the Department of Justice policy on IgG explains the FBI can only use the IgG after the investigation agency has pursued reasonable investigative leads to solve the case and the perpetrator's identity remains unknown. So the fact that they used it means that they had no idea who the perpetrator was. Does that make sense, people? Yeah. yeah. So we have, we have two more hurdles, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> and the first one, I think, is... Well, let me see. I, I I forgot what one of them was. I remember what the big one is. I guess I go with the big one. And if the second one comes back to mind, I'll, I'll if I get reminded, I'll, I'll ask you. But the biggest question, the biggest hurdle, in my opinion, is the weapon. It was never found, never located. How big of a hurdle is that for prosecution in this case for you, Big Blue? I mean, I don't think it's that big of a hurdle because of that case that we were looking into. I want to say it was Idaho where they they, they did a 
they 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 uh, they found the guy guilty because of the photos, but they haven't found the body. I can't remember oh, his okay. name. So there was like no body, no no murder weapon, just a a photo that was found on his phone. I can't remember his name. He was like a rural farmer. He hired these guys to help him out. It was a big case for a while. And it was one of the helpers that that uh, they convicted, but they convicted him without a body or, or a weapon, I think. Was it Dylan Rounds? I think so. It was the one where he was, like, uh, farming out in the middle of nowhere, and then he it was, like, one of the neighbors. Yeah, I think you're talking about Dylan Rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't – I mean, I, I don't – I know a little bit about that case. I don't know a lot about it. I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know that they never found – they didn't find his body. Yeah, I only had a video of him cleaning a, a weapon. Yeah, I don't think they they found the body or the weapon. Oh wow, interesting. So yeah, yeah, you're you're probably right there, Big Blue. You're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, let's see. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that big of a hurdle. I do think it is going to be a hurdle. I just don't think it's going to be as huge as some of the other hurdles that are there. And when it comes to this case, oh, I remember when I heard it. If Brian Koberger meticulously, and I said it right this time, planned this, this right, completely from go, how do you think the prosecution is going to explain all the red flags that would have stated not to have done this? For instance, Kaylee having a brand new car, nobody knowing anything about that. Uh, Ethan being there that night. Yeah tremendous amount of cars that were out parked in front you know all of these things he, he there was a hit and run that happened outside of his apartment complex that morning that had cops everywhere you know, if he tried to commit the perfect crime and he's going out there and the scenario isn't perfect then that kind of throws a wrench in that that thought process don't you think or that motive yeah i think it might have been random but See, it's hard to say it was random because the twelve times he was around there, but I, I don't have the the evidence to see if it was just around that town, that area, that neighborhood, or the house. Yeah, that's true. They don't, they don't ever specify that. Yeah. Now, Steve Gonzalez says a pretty a pretty uh, interesting statement. He says that Koberger was close enough to touch the Wi-Fi. Now, do you think that when Steve Gonsalves says that, that Brian Koberger actually touched the Wi-Fi? Or is that a way of him saying that, you know, without being able to say anything like, you know, we know that he was within 20 yards of the house by saying it, he was close enough to have been connected to the Wi-Fi. Using that as an example of proximity to his, you know, his location to the house, not necessarily indicating that that was a true statement. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, maybe he they were able to get the records of who, who um, got connected to the Wi-Fi, and maybe he's on there. Maybe he knows more. I'm pretty sure he knows more than what we know because he hired that private investigator, and they got a lot more video footage, and some of the video footage the police didn't even have they got. So I know they have more information than we do. So Yeah, 100%, because I don't, I don't think he ever touched it, because if he did, don't you think that you know, his phone number coming up across the router or whatever, 
would have been a big indicator. Like, hey, we need to look at this number and look at, and, hey, you know what? Uh, this guy that got pulled over, you know, you know how they had his phone number from the yeah, station? Yeah. Don't you think they would have connected that together with the router number? So I, yeah, I, they, I, I don't think they had that. I think that, in my opinion, I think, I think Steve is saying uh, he was that close. Not necessarily that he connected, but he was close enough to connect as a, as a tool for measuring how close he was to the house. Yeah, because it, it, I think some people say you would need a password to log in. Not if it's an open Wi-Fi, but I just think um, he has a different meaning for that than I. I don't think that he did connect, but because they would have put it in there, like, oh yeah, he was on the router for this long at this time. If yeah, he, that would have put him in. Yeah, that would have put him real close to the house. Yeah. So they would have used that big time as evidence. I don't think he did 100% connect. 100%, 100%. RVing, keeping it rolling, says there were two other male DNA next to the bodies in both bedrooms. Wasn't That wasn't tested. That's not necessarily true. So I do want to explain that, and this is going to be the last explanation of the show. Uh, basically, what it stated in that document was as of December 17th, that there were two unidentified DNA profiles near where the bodies were. Right. Where two of the bodies were. We can assume that those were in the bedrooms because that's where all the bodies were found in two separate bedrooms. But the big word in that statement or the big thing in that, you know, whole scenario is the term by December 17th. As of December 17th, according to the New York Times article that we just looked into, they didn't even know, you know, the, the, the DNA on the sheath was unknown. So we find out afterwards that they have you know, obviously got information on Brian Koberger's DNA and, you know, did a tree. We also know that law enforcement investigated others because they secretly took a cigarette bud uh, from somebody else. Right. They wouldn't be doing that if they're not investigating somebody or somehow. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and they would investigate everything that popped up until they found a suspect. So based on the fact that they put a date of December 17th leads me to tell leads me to believe that that's just a tactic to create some reasonable doubt, you know, by putting in a date before because they're not necessarily lying there. Right. As of December 17th, they had unknown DNA. It, it, it's not a lie. It's being 100 percent honest and truth there even. But but in that same scenario, Koberger's DNA was unknown still on December 17th off that sheet. Yeah. So hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you guys are still with us, we appreciate it. Might as well hit the subscribe button if you're hanging on this long, especially on the replay booth, you know, with the replay crew. Yeah. You Just know what I mean? Just past that 40K. At 40,000, I'm taking off the, the sunglasses. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to doing some live shows, not having to wear the sunglasses. I've been looking forward to it for a while. So let's get us past 40K. You know, and... <laughs> Don't forget, on Friday, we may not be live, but we will be premiering a video at 7.35 at the time that we normally do go live, uh, referencing our theory on Brian Koberger and and how he may have committed the crime. You know, this right now was the obstacles. This was the hurdles. The next one will be, you know, this is what we think happened. If you don't want to miss it, so hit that like and subscribe button. You got any final words for everybody, Big Blue? No, just everybody, thank you for being on today. Thank, you know, take care. You know, be safe out there. And again, uh, it's not 100 right now, but 
it's been up there, so y'all take care of that, guys. You know it. You know it. With that being said, we're the Drunk Turkey Show. Y'all have a great week, great Wednesday. Be safe, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace.